Ones that were successful loved what they did so they could persevere. So you got to love it. You got to have passion. Welcome to the first episode of the Sense to Dollars podcast. Very excited for the guests we have here today. I've got Leah Heilpern. She's an influential person in the Bitcoin space specifically. We are in Miami and she's an author, a content creator, and also a speaker. Leah, welcome. And thank you for being the first guest on this uh, soon to be very big show. Thanks so much for having me. I didn't realize I was the first guest. So yeah, no, no, no. And, and you know what? That's very exciting because I think especially now having spent time in the city, knowing exactly what's been going on, just specifically with Bitcoin and just how much that's become, I would say, part of the culture now here, I think you would be the perfect person to speak on it. Um, as somebody that comes from Canada with everything that's been going on there, outside of what I would say, you know, people would look at Bitcoin probably in a way where it was more of a speculative thing. I feel like people would think it was more of an investment thing. But I think this year probably sort of changed a lot of people's perspective, at least for us, given what's been going on with the weaponization of money and stuff like that. But why don't you fill us in on your end of things? Like, how did you actually come into the space? What was your start and, and how did you get to where you are now? Sure. So um, I am a journalist by trade. Um, I studied journalism at university. Um, I actually worked as a journalist for a few years. Um, I worked at the BBC, um, a local London TV channel called London Live. Um, that's owned by the Evening Standard if anybody's a Londoner and they know. <laughs> of course. Um, and also, oh, I also worked for a Chinese company called uh, uh, CGTN, China's Global TV Network. Um, but unfortunately, I never really got the promotion that I wanted. Um, I always wanted to be front of camera. Um, I think it sort of comes natural. Like I feel this constant kind of like need to speak. Um, uh, and I feel like that I can express myself better when I'm speaking. Um, so I said to my boss, I said to him, hey, listen, uh, his name's Jim. I never really <laughs> dropped his name. But his name's okay. Jim. So this is breaking news for us at this point. Basically, okay. yeah. So I said to Jim, if Jim's out there watching, <laughs> I said to him, Hey, listen, like I'm going to be an on-screen journalist. Will you help me in getting there by giving me the job <laughs> to be front of camera? He was like, I'll get back to you in two months. I'll get back to you in two months. He never did. Mm. Um, and so I just started looking for other jobs and there was a job available, um, in Malta, um, to work as, um, a, what was it? Oh yeah. Um, a presenter journalist covering cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, by the way, so I mean, were you just sort of thrown into the crypto space based on that being available at the time for journalism? Or was this something that you had interest in prior to that? And it just sort of converged? So I had no idea about crypto. I mean, I'd heard about Bitcoin. The first time I heard about Bitcoin, actually, I was 17. Um, and my boyfriend at the time was buying drugs online. Um, yeah, using Bitcoin. <laughs> and he was like, oh, Leia, like, yeah, there's this thing called Bitcoin. I, I literally remember I was at his house, like I literally remember it. Um, and so when I started working in, in crypto, I knew nothing really about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been quite political. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, my interest in Bitcoin is very political. Um, but I didn't really understand the kind of political, uh, connection at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was just working there, enjoying it. Um, but ultimately I still wanted to be a journalist covering politics and, you know, breaking news, trade wars. Um, and so I, I left there after a year and um, I went to live in Paris to work for this Chinese company and I got the dream job. Mm -hmm. I got the dream job at a very young age. <laughs> um, and everybody at the company didn't even know my age and they were just like, oh my God. When I said my age, they were just like, oh God, what have we done? <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, I was covering breaking news in Paris. I was um, talking about, you know, the migrant crisis, trade wars. Um, this is when Trump left the, um, left the, was it the Paris Agreement? Is that what it's yes, called? Yes, yes, exactly. And that I feel like started to create a little bit of an uproar and there was some pushback from different sides on that. Yeah, so that was, yeah, so that was around that time. Um, but then I didn't like it. I got the dream job at a young age and I didn't like it. And I'm really happy that I got the dream job at a young age and hated it. Um, so then I decided- Such a good point, by the way. And I feel like people don't really realize sometimes people have this vision, I think, when they're starting out and what they may think might be the job that they want. And then you sort of start to evolve and you realize, wait a second, this isn't actually what I want. So that's amazing that you sort of figured that out at a young age, but- yeah, no, I agree with you, actually, because I'm only in my 20s and I could have worked for 10 years up until I was 30, right, mm -hmm. to try and secure this job and then get the job, have wasted all my 20s, be miserable and all of that. Um, so I realized that it was just such a blessing. Um, but then, yeah, I decided to go back into crypto. Um, I really enjoyed the idea of like decentralization, being able to work from anywhere in the world and Something that I really learned about living in Malta, um, which mm. is the first crypto company that I was at, um, was that you can make so much money in this world by not having, by while still having a luxurious lifestyle. So let me explain. I always had this mentality that as a child, you know, in order to make a lot of money in this world, you need to leave the house before the sun rises and be home after it sets. Mm -hmm. So basically, you have no quality of life. You're up at seven in the office by eight. Oh, and the commute had to be like an hour and a hour and a half. London mindset. <laughs> um, yeah, out, up at seven, out the house at eight. Sorry, in the office at eight, back home, 9 p.m., have dinner, shower, go to bed. Like, you know, that's the, the mentality I had. And then I realized living in Malta that people are making so much money while like doing nothing of course they're not doing nothing they're doing smart hard work exactly and right. that's the key work smart not hard yeah that's exactly basically what what Malta taught me um and so that was still always playing at the back of my mind it's like hey i could live by a beach why am i stuck in smelly paris like yeah for those of you listening by the way let's replace uh, smelly paris with toronto and think the <laughs> same way because you know what that's a great point and uh we shouldn't be tied down to anywhere especially the, these days and age when you know, there's so many opportunities out there, but go on. Yeah, no, exactly. So I sort of figured like, you know, why am I stuck in smelly Paris paying all this rubbish money and I don't want to be here, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was just really just romanticizing my life in Malta where like I just go to the beach at four in the afternoon. I could work from home and all this stuff. So basically, long story short, I decided to get back into crypto um, and I kind of figured that I wanted to work for myself because I didn't want to have to rely on anyone else for an income. I've seen how that can be dangerous. Um, I think, I don't know who says it, but it's the best quote and I, it's, I'm just paraphrasing. Okay. It's something like, if you have one source of income, you're only like one job away from poverty. Yeah, good point. Or something like that. Um, so I, I realized like I never wanted to just work for someone because it's too dangerous. Um, because we live in a world whereby it's all about business. Um, every, everybody's very ruthless. It's all about money. And that is fine as long as you know the deal, right? Yeah. So actually, good point. And I think this is interesting, too. And I think a lot of people specifically that sort of hear about Bitcoin from the outer layer, not the people that I think are at the core, maybe even like the maximalists, but the ones on the outside, from what I find, I think they look at it more as a quick money scheme. But a lot of the things that you actually said really tie into the core concept, which is freedom and personal empowerment. 
And at that root, there's money, but at the same time, it shouldn't all be about money. It's about having all those things working together. And I think that's what you can get out of it. Yeah, essentially. And um, what was my train of thought before that? I can't remember. You were saying that, uh, so you were starting to realize, you know, being dependency. I think dependency yeah. is at the root of everything you're saying. If we break it down, that's really what it comes down to. And, and dependency is dangerous for people, for governments, for society, really. Yeah, essentially. So I just, yeah, essentially. So I just sort of felt like, you know, I didn't want to rely on somebody. Um, and then it kind of spiraled from there, basically, um, you know, with everything that happened with COVID, yeah. um, my political realizations or my beliefs became even more realized mm -hmm. as I started learning more about were you Bitcoin. Were you always political, by the way? Or like, is this something that developed, I guess, as the world around you sort of started to change? No, I've always been political. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Like, I remember I was in year 10 at school. Um, and we, I don't know how old that makes me, oh, it was 2010. Um, and we had, um, I, I was in English class or something. We were talking about this election, the general election that was happening in the UK. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, there's, it doesn't matter which party wins because nothing's going to change. Right? right. That's what I thought to myself. Um, you know, there's not really much happening. It's a bit boring. It's 2010. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, imagine being alive in like the 60s or like the 20s yes. when like people had to fight for something, you know, like yes. women like burning their bras, you know, tying <laughs> yeah. themselves to train stations, to tracks. And I was like, wow, like imagine being alive during those times and really having to like fight for something. Um, and then like 10 years later. Here you are. Fighting for something. But doing it in a new way, a cool way, digitally. And Yeah, but like, fuck that it's it's more like it's, it's more like it's more like we never thought that we would be fighting for something like this you mean like you thought it ended back then we've done the work and we should have been free at this point now not having to sort of go back to the stuff that we used to do once upon a time like in that sense yeah i just think i just think like i'm born in the 90s and growing up in the 90s and then we call them the noughties the 2000s okay people americans and yeah don't know what that no is. idea yeah but cool. so we call them the noughties because it's not not right um we it's kind of just post like western society peaked in the 90s right so growing up just post that peak you think that you're living in the best era technology was booming you know phones my grandparents always used to say wow you've got you know three cars we never had any cars we worked in the factories and yeah. so you 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 you're sort of like growing up with this mentality especially also growing up in london like yeah. What was that like, by the way? What would you say were some of the biggest challenges for somebody growing up in London? Just because, again, we're from Toronto. You know, I think we have some commonalities in some sense, but at the same time, were there any specific challenges that you found and made it difficult, maybe for your interests and for you to develop into the person that you've become now being exposed to America? I mean, I would say, like, I like London besides the weather. Like, I do say bad things about London a lot. Um, I... I don't know, things I can say and can't say. <laughs> um, okay, we'll keep it, we'll keep it, although I definitely can say. What I definitely okay. can say is that London and the UK, but particularly uh, most of the UK, is just like infected with this like liberal woke culture. Yep. And so that's, it's growing up has always been very difficult for me to um, like connect, um, particularly like as a teenager, because like you're knowledgeable, you're awake, you're conscious as a teenager, right? Like from 16 up, you're you're a full developed human, yeah, right? Yeah. Sixteen, you're you're not a ten year old child. No, right. So like, I had my own opinions um, and beliefs, and I've never really liked feminism. I've never really enjoyed victim mentality, and you know, I quite liked Trump and all these things. And say it again. <laughs> and you know, people 
I could never really like have a conversation with people about stuff or even just like, um, say I'm at dinner with a bunch of girlfriends and the, the, the waiter is just doing a terrible job, right? Like right. I'm going to say, you got my order wrong. Right? Like I'm going to like, you got my order wrong. As you should. It's cold, take it back. Like I, I'm going to speak mm -hmm. because I'm paying for a service, right? Yes. Everyone around me is like, oh, don't say anything. They're embarrassed. And, and it's this. interesting that you said that because I was having a conversation with someone like last week. And I find that we're in a time right now where our standard of of, of service that we, we receive and businesses in general, it's almost like we're, we're willing to accept like the lowest form of quality across the board. And we're not really doing things like that due to the fact that people are uncomfortable saying something or requesting for it to be taken back. And I feel like it allows businesses to sort of get away with less and we yeah. suffer. Yeah, I mean, I just sort of felt that like everybody was just like, oh, don't start conflict. It's like, it's not conflict. Grow up. It's truth. Right. Um, and it even even actually I was in Miami. I'm, we're in Miami, but right. I was <laughs> out for dinner the other night. And um, this girl was, I was like a networking dinner. And this girl was saying, um, telling me about her business. And she said, we. And so I said, who's we? Mm -hmm. And somebody's turned around to me and was like, Leia, leave her. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm trying to understand her business. She said, we, so people are very um, emotional and highly sensitive. And I find that more in London. Mm -hmm. And so I had a difficult time connecting with people. The women are more masculine. The men are more feminine. This is in London. Yes. Really? Yeah. So because that, like, that is a problem. I think that a lot of people are noticing like from the energy perspective. Right. And I think even the, no, even the clothes they wear. So like the women are cutting their hair short. They're oh, wearing wow. like these baggy oversized clothes, which is fine. Each to their own. Like yeah. I don't care. But like it, it, you tend to see like a trend with feminists. They wear the same thing. And then the men are wearing like skinny tight jeans and like <laughs> with these like ridiculous haircuts and they look like women. Yeah. And the, the the women are wearing male clothes. It's like the genders have just swapped. And of course, this could lead to mega problems for society. It already the, has. It has. And and where does it all go is the question. At what point, like, you know, it's funny, like with all the stuff that's happening, if we're just going to keep it honest and real, like, for example, I just saw a MasterCard ad on Instagram, right? It was the most insane thing I've ever seen. It was a guy in a dress. And it's so, like, literally, literally, and they're presenting it as if it's normal. And I'm supposed to look at this and be like, yeah, or like Leah Thomas, right? With the swimming thing. Like, at what point are we going to just be able to say, you know what, this is fucking crazy. And maybe we should just say what it is and not all continue to sort of pretend because at the end of the day, and here's my concern, I want to get your thoughts on it. Like right now, it's about genders. But what happens if we're going to live in this sort of like field based society? What happens when people start to say things like my age is up to me to decide on how I feel the age that I'm at? Like what happens then? Yeah, I mean, it is concerning if we start basing reality on how we feel yeah um but then all of this is sort of being dressed up as science and facts um yeah. when it's obviously not um and i think like people don't realize the severity of what's happening so you know you could ask well what's the problem with a man dressing like a woman there's actually no problem i don't care each right. of their own right if you if, if you if you want me to call you by a pronoun which scientifically doesn't make sense that's okay. As long as you've earned my respect and we're on a good first name basis. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm not here to upset anyone. So like, if you say to me nicely, Hey Leia, like I feel a bit uncomfortable with this. Can you call me that? I'll be like, of course, I don't want to yeah. upset you, but yeah. it's when you start forcing speech and we start pretending and not living in reality, that becomes a problem. Um, it becomes a problem because because it, st it starts with people who don't feel how they feel, right? It starts with a feeling. 
But then it starts to spread to become a society norm where, whereby people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So I logged onto LinkedIn the other day and everyone I went to school with now has a pronoun in their LinkedIn thing, right? Wow. They're not all allies and stuff like that. They just do it because they just don't know, right? Because they sort of, it's easier to conform and run with it's the not, herd. It's, it's not even about conformity at this point. It's, it, it's more just like, it's more, just, it's becoming the norm. It's just mm. becoming normal. The same way you end an email with kind regards. Like right. it's just normal. Oh, you end your email now with your pronouns. It's just becoming the norm. So people don't realize. It's the same with like what I was talking about with like feminism and the way people dress. Women becoming more masculine. They don't know why they're doing it now. They may not be doing it for feminist reasons, but it's just how norm, how a woman now, how a woman now behaves or like a man not wanting to take responsibility for his family and being a protector and a provider. Mm -hmm. That might just be because, you know, it's not, he's not doing it because he's standing against society. He's just doing it because it's the norm now. So now all these backwards ways have become the norm. Then we have to understand what is that new normal? I hate that term, but what does that, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? It means in terms of like the pronouns things, it means what you were saying, we're now living in a reality whereby we don't base things on facts, we base things on emotions, which is dangerous. If you can pick your gender, why can't you pick your age? Why can't yeah. a grown man say, you're hurting my feelings if you don't believe me when I say, I feel like I'm five. Why can't I sleep in that little girl's bed? We're best friends, she likes me, you're hurting my feelings. So like, you know, this is the norm. And then if we start having the norm, which is super, you know, masculine women and then very feminine men. What does that mean? Like, I think, if, I mean, first of all, it's, it's nuts. And if anybody, and I think this is part of the problem, like we're drowning in, informa in, in, um, in information these days, but we're starving for knowledge. And I think very few people actually tend to read and look at history because stuff like this has happened. And this is how societies typically go. And the last step is the barbarians end up at the gate and then we're done. But if this flips and women are now men and men are women, what happens to procreation? Exactly. So if you have a society whereby it's now normal, again, we're not doing this for feminist reasons. No. We're not doing this to take down society. We're doing this because it's now normal. We have feminine men and masculine women. You cannot socially engineer biology, right? They're not going to attract. Mm -hmm. They're just not. They're going to repel each other. And so less procreation. Maybe they do get together, but then the family breaks down. So now we have more children growing up in broken homes. What does that do? Do you think this all leads to like more government control and yes. that kind of thing? Okay, let's go far. Can we go far? Because yeah. I feel like you could talk, you could say a lot more about this. So where does this go? Is the play here for them to basically destroy the family unit, have the government replace the family, and then that way they have total control of whatever populations to come? And then where do you think, I'm actually very curious, like where do you think it goes from there? Like what's end goal? So end goal is just like control, okay. right? And then the end goal, once you have control, it's maintaining control. Right. Um, and doing whatever means necessary to get that control. Mm. Um, so yes, I think it's depopulation firstly, because when you have less people, um, you it's easier to control, mm. right? That's obvious, that goes without saying. Um, the second point is, yeah, if you break down the family unit and you start raising children who come from broken homes and they are going to, they're going through an education system which encourages dependency and doesn't teach personal responsibility, empowerment, mental resilience, entrepreneurship, whatever it is, then you're gonna be breeding a society of very broken and weak people. And that is what we have. That is oh, literally- absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That's, and, and, and okay, so let me ask you this too, actually, because I, I actually personally love this topic. Like I like diving into like the future where things could go and stuff like that. 
Do you think there's an element of transhumanism sort of that's coming here around the corner possibly that's related to this in a sense where like, are humans going to be a thing? Are we going to be needed in a hundred years? You, by transhumanism, you mean like, half like for example, robot, like, half human. Yeah, like let's start with Neuralink, right? Elon Musk's thing. And obviously everybody's excited. The Twitter, I don't know, like is, that could be like a Trojan horse situation. I don't know. I like him. The guy's cool as fuck. He's very entertaining. But at the same time, he's looking to put chips in people's minds. Buys Twitter. That's a lot of data. Are we going to be then tweeting thoughts? And then from there, I mean, when we integrate with robots or in this sense, like is a bionic human, like an organic human, is that going to be even a thing in a hundred years? Possibly. I mean, I definitely think we're going to get to that transhumanism point. And I think it will be somewhat beneficial in that, like we have technology and it's been overall beneficial. We can't, right. you know, we do have to continue to innovate. Um, but I think, yeah, it's concerning. Like, I don't want any chip inside my brain. So you're um, opting out now? I'm opting out now. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Unless, unless there's like, unless I'm in control of the chip, but. Probably not. Unless it's like a Bitcoin chip whereby yeah. it's like decentralized and yes. nobody. I'm so happy you brought that up. And, and, and this is so critical. And, and, and I want to ask you if this happened to you too. So for myself, like when I started to understand decentralized, central, uh, centralized, like the differences, Bitcoin, stuff like that. I feel like when you go down that rabbit hole, you get to a place where you almost want to scream these things off the rooftop and shake people and be like, listen, this is important. You need to understand it. From your perspective now, can you tell people what the difference is, why it's important and why this is a moment where people really need to pay attention? Because we're just seeing we're at peak centralization with, yeah. e with everything mm -hmm. financially, politically, from a technological standpoint. I mean, it's great that Elon Musk is buying it, but it's still concerning because like he's a human at the end of the day and all people can be corrupted. Um, and so, you know, Bitcoin is a decentralized network. It is the most decentralized network. It may not be the fastest or the cheapest. I think mm -hmm. it's pretty fast and cheap. Mm -hmm. But anyway, just to <laughs> just to just the calm that appease the haters. Of course. Um, you know, but it but it's the most secure. It has never been hacked. It has never been taken down. Um, you know, the US government would have taken it down if it could by now, as would Russia and so on and so on. Um, and so it's basically, it, it, it's, it's, oh my God, man, it's everything <laughs> though, because like, it's all about, it. it oh, okay, I don't know you know to go, go with this. Go, go, Give us one There's of those so machine much. gun moments. There's just so much to know. it, you know? Okay, but so basically. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one okay, thing that ahead, I was going to say. Please. Yeah. One thing I was going to say was like, once you understand Bitcoin, it's not just about understanding it. It's about, it goes into every aspect of your life, right? Yes. So the idea of Bitcoin is decentralization, proof of work, don't trust, verify. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for example, if I'm going to go buy and uh, rent an Airbnb, right? Mm -hmm. I now have this mentality of my head of like, don't trust, verify, like make sure it's got enough ratings, make sure that you've got a backup plan, make, you know, it's everything. And then of course it's, you've got to take personal responsibility of your private keys, which then empowers you to start taking personal responsibility in other areas of your life. Um, you know, proof of work, it, 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 for example, like just make sure that you have everything in order, make sure everything is good. Don't trust, you know, verify, yes, of course. you know, if you're going to start working with someone, make sure you know who the fuck they are. Like everything has to be in place and organized and in think um you can't just you can't just start you know relying on uh, on like one airbnb for example as like a centralized kind of yes. like place to live like you you have to just always have that backup and then it's also the mentality that like you never you never know what's coming next so like i i'm jewish i'm from england and like there was a term that they used to say they used to say uh, and i'm not really in interested in like in talking about all of that culture and stuff, but there's just something which always resonated with me because it resonates with Bitcoin. And it was that um, 
people who were um, victims of, uh, or survivors, sorry, of the Holocaust, they told their kids to always have your bags packed. So they always had their bags packed at the door. Now, I was always like, oh, okay. But after the lockdown thing, mm -hmm. like that hit me. And now mm -hmm. that's like a Bitcoin mentality. It's mm -hmm. like, always have your bags packed. You asked me, am I going to buy a property in Miami? No, because my bags are packed. Right. No. And I'm noticing a lot of this. Like a lot of people are kind of opting to kind of rent because it seems like, yes. yeah, shit could happen at any moment. You got to be ready to go. Yeah. And then you have your private keys. It's decentralized. I can go anywhere. I can flee tyranny. I can flee war. I can flee whatever the hell is going on yeah. with my Bitcoin. Nobody can touch it. Um, nobody needs to know how much I have. Nobody needs to know where I'm storing it. Nobody needs to know anything. They don't have, they don't know anything. Um, and so, and so, yeah, it was like that bags packed has never i should do a video on this for twitter yes, but like there you go that's Perfect. that's like it, it, i don't know it's like this thing that i heard as a kid and it just re it really resonated once i was older with the lockdowns on bitcoin and that makes total sense and i think for us in canada same thing happened right with justin trudeau um with the whole <laughs> with the whole trucker convoy thing and, and i'm sure you know this like obviously they froze bank accounts and stuff like that one of his like right hand guys at a moment in time not currently but like within the last few years literally guy that was in the cabinet or whatever he released because they hacked the information of the donors and they literally released it on Twitter of the people that donated full names, where they work, stuff like that. And so Bitcoin is important, not only, I think, for those reasons, but at the same time, the encrypted aspect, I think, where your stuff is safe and protected from the government. That's really now the person that you have to worry about, not as much as like the next person. But I wanted to also bring up the point, and I'm sure this is a part of it for you, too. Like if you go back to 2008 and even now what we're probably going to start to see after this COVID boom that we've had, like central banks, how much of a role have they played and given the shitty job that they've done into now sort of promoting Bitcoin? Because you're seeing inflation and stuff like that and currencies collapse, you know, every hundred years or so, give or take. And you're seeing countries like Turkey and you're seeing places like Argentina, I think right now, literally in real time collapsing. How important would you say that is as well for the purpose of sustaining storage of wealth, value, that kind of thing? What do you mean? How important is what? So, for example, if people start to pay attention now, when like if we start to understand what a central bank actually does, and that, like you said earlier, we're depending on people that are human, that are corruptible because they're human, they're essentially kind of like a scorekeeper, right? They're right. kind of keeping tallies and, you know, stuff like that. Printing money, setting the cost of money, stuff like that. That creates inflation. That fucks all of us, literally. So I think that element of it and replacing central banks and getting out of the financial system that we're in is also very important when it comes to Bitcoin too. Yeah, I mean, I would say that like the central bank and governments are the most um, important um, champions of Bitcoin. I mean, Justin Trudeau was just like chief, chief <laughs> yeah. of marketing. Yeah, you know? did a hell of a job. Yeah, I mean, ju and that's just free marketing right there. Um, you know, the war with Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, claiming inflation is transitory, number one, claiming, <laughs> claiming that it's eight and a half percent in the US, number two, um, you know, all these lies, um, you know, you, you only have to go buy some milk or fill up your car to know inflation is far more than eight and a half percent. And that's globally. Um, in the UK as well, I think inflation was up like, sorry, gas, petrol was up 20% uh, back in the summer. Um, so yeah, it, they are the best marketers of Bitcoin. Um, and I actually like the last two years were very, very tough um, for many different reasons. Um, and only now that it's like over to some extent. For now. For now. Um, well, it's over this phase is over what do you make of what the fuck's going on in china do you believe it like these stories coming out of there the shanghai lockdowns people jumping out of windows have you seen this stuff yeah so um 
you know that company that I introduced you to? Yes. So yeah. I spoke with them and one of the ladies who works there, um, her, I think it's her husband or her boyfriend or something is in Shanghai right now. Oh, sure. So she was telling me, she's like, yes, it's true. Fuck. Yes. So like, it's crazy <laughs> to think like, what, what is that? Is that like to me and tell me what you think? Cause I love these sort of conversations, but to me, it's either one of two things. They don't give a shit about their people. So they could take maximum pain. And at the same time, obviously we're again, the West is so dependent. This word just keeps coming up, right? We're so dependent on their supply goods, that kind of thing, that they're probably doing this in a way to A, control their people, but at the same time, they're bleeding out America and the West, economically, I would say, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole situation um, in Shanghai is just unbelievable. Um, I believe it's, it's they've uh, made it less now, um, but yeah, it's unbelievable. They don't care about their people. Um, you only need to see what's been going <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's shocking that, um, you know, China's always somewhat one step ahead. Yeah. Um, that's something that Trump wanted to solve. Um, but here we are. Um, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, they've got their digital yuan. I think that the, the weirdest part is like, should the West be adopting similar policies to China? In the sense of what, like the digital yuan or? In the sense of everything. In the fact, in, in the I CBDC. Think, yes, I love that you brought The that lockdowns. Mm -hmm. The question is, is the US still the US? Because here's no. what the, no, right? So you would say that they're compromised. And when I say that, I think like, you know, Biden and just certain politicians. Do you think that's the case? Well, I don't think compromised is the word. Okay. Um, the like okay, so compromise is the word, but not in this sense. So I would say like an, an individual, like like an influencer, which is like pushing certain things, is compromised. Right. Um, but like as for um, heads of states, I just think that I mean maybe compromise. I, I don't know. I just think that you literally have like communists running in the, the U.S. Yeah, you only need to look at the policies and what's happening. I mean, let's talk about it, right? Yeah. The Ministry of Truth. So for those that don't know, the Ministry of Truth is something that the Biden administration, as of the end of April, has announced that they're going to be um, what, rolling out and working on. It's basically a government department which which decides what is true and what isn't true. Now, what, why is that a problem? It's a problem because only a year ago, if I said to you, um, if I put on Twitter, the injection is not 100% effective, and it could cause serious side effects. If I said that on Twitter, I would be deplatformed and banned mm -hmm. because that's misinformation. Right. We know a year later that's correct. So what is misinformation, disinformation and truth and all this stuff? It changes. Um, and so that is very Orwellian. To, that's, Absolutely. That clamps down on free speech. So you only need to look at the policies that they're implementing to say, well, maybe, maybe they're communists. Yeah. Um, I have something funny to tell you though, because I'm in the middle of a visa application, so I should be careful <laughs> what I say. Please, yeah, don't go crazy yeah. on this, but maybe fuck it. Yeah, first. I should be careful. <laughs> um, but in a visa application, they ask you, are you a communist? Really? Like flat out? Yeah. Do, do you have any affiliation with any communist party? Have you previously been affiliated with, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not even surprised. Just as a side point, I also tried to move to Israel at one point. Really? I did, yeah. And cool. It uh, wasn't. No? No. Okay. Um, and it also asked me, like, are you a terrorist? Have you had any, any had any association with any terrorist organizations? So you understand why a country asks, asks different things. Of course. You know, the U.S. typically doesn't like communism, the Red Scare, McCarthyism, the whole yeah. thing, right? So I respect the question. I'm like, fair play. I'm not a communist. <laughs> I am, I'll be a patriot. Um, you know, I understand. But but then I thought, but have you seen who's running the country? Yeah, it's crazy. Like you have socialist issues. Mm -hmm. 
And it seems like at this point now... Policies. Exactly. And, and, and it goes so far beyond just, like, I don't know if you would call it direct communism, obviously, with the overreach and the stuff that we've seen. But, like, even the way they've handled the Russia thing, I think, is insane. Like, they're playing checkers, literally playing checkers while they're playing chess. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I can't speak too much about, like, specific policies, but mm. I think overall, um, charity starts at home. Um, stop poking the bear. Look after your own. Um, from what I understand, from what I understand yeah. of the situation, America is poking the bear, right? You 100%. know, NATO is expanding eastward. Russia doesn't want that. Russia says, if you do expand eastward, I will attack. So mm -hmm. America expands eastward. Funny, this didn't happen under Trump, which means in some ways this could have all been avoidable. Absolutely. But at the same time, if you're going to poke the bear, at least hold the stick. Do not poke a bear with empty hands because right. at this point now they've fucked up their own supply chains in a way because they have 40% dependency on their oil without any sort of contingencies. And again, options, dependency. These are the words that you brought up speaking onto Bitcoin. So it's sort of, it's, it's more of a mind state, I think, all these things that are now happening. And we're basically seeing it play out in a way where if we're observing it correctly, it's all the things that you don't want to do. And there is things that you could take away from it. And you brought something up earlier that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. And I think it's terrifying personally, and I'm sure you would agree. But the digital yuan or like CBDC. So you want to just touch on that for a second? Because I don't think a lot of people know what that is. Yeah, I'm big on these things. I'm actually on Fox News. Uh, I was supposed to do it today, but we're doing it tomorrow now. Tomorrow oh, morning. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm on Fox tomorrow to talk about this. Um, so CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, these are cryptocurrencies, um, given it's on blockchain technology, mm. um, but it will be entirely centralized in the government's control. Um, meaning that it's because it's digital, it's programmable. So you don't need any person sitting at their, de their, their administrative desk, you know, going through it with all the bureaucracy, no bureaucracy. If yeah. you, if you, you go fill up your car and you get declined, why? Because you reached your pollution allowance. Oh, you bought too much meat this week, you know, because we're in the middle of this climate crisis. Um, and, uh, you know, the world is going to end like they've been saying for the last hundred years, you know? Um, so we really need to cut back. We need to start eating, um, bugs. <laughs> right? bugs. I think I saw bugs, that yeah. come out. I think Bloomberg or somebody posted this, like, we're going to start eating bugs and you're going to enjoy it. And it's, is going on and yeah. the climate thing is interesting too because it feels like that's the direction that the narrative's now going to go in and they're going to sort of use this in the yeah. form of like controlling our movement and things we could do and then things like speech are already restricted again centralization yeah so yeah so because the money's programmable you know it could get to a point where you're only allowed like two flights that year um Fuck. because you know we're in a climate crisis Right. So, you know, don't be selfish, yeah. stay home, save lives, save the planet, stay home. Um, so this is going to be more programmable. And also it's um, any privacy that we thought we had left would be utterly diminished because you can see every single transaction that's ever happened. Now, here's the key point. It's a one way situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything, um, you know, we have to go on lockdown, but they don't go on lockdown. So we'll see. They'll see every transaction we've ever done. But do not think that we'll see every transaction Never. they've done. We are not going to be seeing where our taxes are going. I mean, that would be a very good use of a CBDC. You pay me, um, I then pay you back <laughs> some fifty percent, seventy percent of my, of my, you know, pay my taxes, and now I can see where it goes. Well, that won't happen. Oh, absolutely not. That'll then, crumble the house of cards. Yeah, and then also that they, um, since it's programmable, it can also expire. So here's the thing, right? Um, if, for example, they justify inflation, eight and a half percent inflation. Um, by wanting to stimulate the economy. That's why they print more money because we're in crisis, so we must stimulate the economy. Um, okay, okay, right. So that's why you do that. Well, what happens if they say now, 
um, you must spend to stimulate the economy. You have to spend. If you don't spend, then the economy is going to just crumble. If you don't spend this money in the next three months, it will expire. And that's a very important point because do you remember that article that came out originally and obviously it picked up steam in recent years, the whole uh, 2030, you'll own nothing and be yes. happy thing. So now take that and connect the inability to not be able to save and hoard and, and basically accumulate wealth. And that's how you sort of get there. Yeah, you, then you you create like this this slave society because like you said, you can't build wealth, you can't save. And so you're going to have to keep working until the day you die. And then you really don't have any time to think critically about what's Nothing. going on because you've just got to pay those bills. 100%. I don't think, and I think if that's because that type of apparatus has never been done, right? Like if we think right. about like in times of history, like in the 1500s or whatever, like when the king thought or suspected that some of the population was against them or whatever, they would knock on doors, they would torture, they had to figure shit out. But now you live in this era where it's like, you're going to tweet your thoughts, which again, like cool, but it's centralized. And, you know, at the end of the day, like it's public record, it's out there. And at the same time, if they introduce something like CBDCs, who's to say that if you tweet something that goes counter to narrative, it's not just going to be a little disclaimer like we've seen till now. It's like you're shut out, you're locked out and you can't even spend the money that you've earned, I guess. Yeah. So without... Okay, so I was talking about this the other day with Mark Moss. He's amazing. Amazing. I love Go Mark. watch that episode on her <laughs> YouTube. That one blew my fucking mind, for real. Yeah, so I was actually chatting with him yesterday. I was on his show, um, and he sort of says that freedom of speech is great, right? But without money, freedom of money, you don't have freedom of speech. So I can stand from my rooftop and scream, um, you know, lockdowns don't work, the injections could be dangerous, you know, but that's not going to do anything if I cannot use my money to get somewhere where I can be heard. If I can't get to where the protest is, yeah. then I can't add any value to the protest and eventually take down this communist system that we have, that we have growing this authoritarian reality that we're starting to live in. Um, and so without, without money, you don't have freedom of speech. So we need to have freedom to spend our money. Also, Majid Noir spoke about this, um, on, on Joe Rogan, Majid Nawaz is amazing. So. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see that one. Yeah. So, so he was, you know, he was saying the same thing. He was saying like, you know, oh, you liked that comment on Twitter. Yeah. Now you can't spend your CBDC to fly to Canada just in case you might be joining the truckers to protest. Nuts. Right. Nuts. Let me ask you this. So based on everything that we've just said, obviously we're at a point in society where there's like this massive divide, right? You've got people like yourself, the freedom fighters of modern times. I know you mentioned back in the day, bra burning, protesting, all that stuff. Now this sort of thing is happening in digital space, right? Obviously massive opposition, governments and the woke people for some reason that seem to hate themselves so much that they're actually pushing that agenda further. Who do you think wins? Like when this all plays out, do we have a chance? I think we definitely have a chance. I don't think anybody wins. I think this is just life. I think this is a cycle. Um, you know, I think we saw it go in cycles in the 20th century. Um, you know, I I knew that this would come to an end because like everything does. The tide always changes. Governments go too far. Things do go too far. Um, you know, I do think that like the censorship on in the, in the digital space has gone too far. COVID went too far. And so people like Elon Musk and many other people are waking up to this reality that we are starting to live in a more, in a, a more authoritarian regime, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it, it goes in shifts really. So we're now gonna start moving towards this 
more free um, kind of way. And I hope that Bitcoin has a part to play in that. And I hope that um, it can start empowering people um, to, you know, be more decentralized, live free, take responsibility and things like that. Um, but then it just comes around again. Um, so it, it's just it's just a it's just a cycle. And they say that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Right. Um, and so I, I do think we're going to go in cycles. Um, but I but all we have to do is keep keep talking about the horrors of the past so that we don't do the same mistakes. Um but we'll see if that happens. Absolutely. And one thing I wanted to also bring up before we sign out, sort of uh, wrap things up. So as I mentioned, you know, you're a content creator, author and a speaker, but the content creating that part, I think that's one of the more powerful things that you've got in your arsenal of tools at your disposal. Obviously, you have a passion for it, but I think it's an educational thing, too, where you're sharing information and you're basically a resource for others to really sort of understand this because if you're just somebody that's floating through life watching news or maybe just sports and shit like that very surface you're gonna miss it so from that perspective where do you see things for yourself the show the way a Heilprint show in like five years ten years what's the vision what's the goal for you ultimate yeah um I'd <laughs> no like pressure. to yeah no it's okay um I would definitely like to lead in this world and when it comes to freedom and personal responsibility um I'd also like to um sort of like talk a lot. I, I should probably start talking more about feminism because I really don't like it. I think the older I get, the more I realize all the lies that we're told that girls are told as children. Um, and I think that's really destructive. Um, but ultimately, um, from like a personal standpoint, I want to be like married with children okay. and I want to be, wow, you're one of those. Cause I feel like that's so fucking rare. So you don't want to be like a baddie or something like the I can rest still of, be a baddie, you, baddie wife. Okay. That's cool. Taking both. Of, I guess you could. But today, I feel like you don't hear that often from women. From yeah. Women. Well, I, I'm. I want to be married with children, and I want to be like in a partnership whereby, like, we take on the world. You know, we're mm -hmm. both trying to, you know, educate people, talk about freedom, talk about responsibility, um, and just like promote important values. Um, and yeah, just just wake people up. And I think something that Jordan Peterson said is like, if people aren't listening, just stop talking to them. And that's something that I've done, like go where people listen to you. That's why I'm in Miami and I'm not in London. People weren't listening to me in London. Like I used to tell my friends stuff and they just, they weren't listening. Um, so I come here and people listen to me. People listen to me in the Bitcoin space. Mm -hmm. um, and so as time goes by, people start to realize that this is truth. This is reality. This is a better way to live. And they'll all start listening soon. So I think I want to build a kind of like empire with a partner um, and then together like promote freedom and empowerment and responsibility. Well said. Amazing. And once again, thank you so much for joining me on the first one. I had a blast and I want to send as many people your way, by the way, just because to be honest, like, so when I came across your stuff, I don't remember how it was. I'll, I'll bring you up to speed on this kind of side of things, like the story part. Holy fuck. Cause like, there's not a lot of women doing it, right? There's not a lot of women that I find that are smart and that can actually speak in a very easily sort of way to like a very digestible way, almost, I want to say, with this level of information. So I think that not only could you appeal to women, but you could also appeal to those that now need to wake up and sort of understand shit's crazy. And now's the time to really sort of pay attention. So definitely keep going. I want as many of you as to as possible to go watch her stuff. So do you want to just shout out all the platforms, everything you've got so we can get people over there? 
Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Um, I'm on all the social media platforms. It's just my first and my na- and my last name. So it's Leia Heilpern, L-A-Y-A-H-H-E-I-L-P-E-R-N. But like I'm on the phone, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, double O for <laughs> Amazing. So thank you guys so much. This was a fun episode to do. I had a blast. Thank you, especially. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs> <laughs>